Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Well, good morning. Now, that last series we did for about six weeks, it started with Frank Sinatra. And so I figured this new series, we got to start with Iron Man, just to balance it out for those of you in here that like a different style of music. Man, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Welcome to Harbor Church. Uh, Those of you that are checking us out online, this is our second service. We normally go live on the first service, but I think there was a, uh, a problem with Facebook. So we're going live again. Welcome. My name's Josh. I'm the pastor here at Harbor Church. And uh, man, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're with us. As uh, Lori mentioned, we're kicking off a new series. We're talking about the idea of heroes, superheroes. Uh, I don't know how many of you watch movies, go to them regularly, but if you've been paying attention even a little bit, you might have noticed that the movie theater seems to be clogged up with hero movies, superhero movies. These um, these tales, they, they kind of died off for a little bit. I think Batman almost killed the movie franchise for superheroes, and then it came back, and now now there's a movie every other week that's, uh, you know, it's the Avengers, or it's a, it's a backstory on somebody, it's an origin story, it's something, they're standalones and group movies, and they're killing it. I mean, they, these movies are so popular. There's something about the idea of these comic book heroes, these superheroes that we resonate with. You know, we like seeing the underdog kind of get, be able to come back and, and do something awesome. We like it when uh, somebody gets these, these extra powers and then they can use it to fight bad and help people and do some good. These things are, 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 are appealing to us. That's why they, they're selling so many. Any of you watch a superhero, superhero movie recently? Anybody? Two people. Okay, so this crowd, I picked the right, picked the right topic. That's perfect. They're out. They're, they're really, really prevalent. I actually think that um, this idea of a person who is empowered to do more than, than the average person, someone, a man or a woman, given the opportunity and extra abilities to, to go above and beyond what's expected of them, to right a wrong, to help people, that is not a comic book original idea. I believe that's the Bible. I, th- I think God has sh- given us time and time again men and women that he has called to do something awesome, to save those around them, to uh, help fight against injustice. These kind of things are not new. These, they're thousands of years old. And there's stories upon stories of how God uses us, men and women, normal people, um, to do amazing things when we trust him. This is what I kind of want to lean into during this series. So we're going to start with a different one uh, today. We're going to start in the book of Judges. The book of Judges has so many cool, unique stories. Some of them just a few verses long. Some of them chapters long. And they speak to these these people with these awesome, awesome uh, events and stories that have happened. We're going to do a different one today. Um, We're going to start with Gideon. And to correlate Gideon, we're going to do the amazing Spider-Man. How many of you guys are Spider-Man fans? All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Don't get too excited, Brian. I'm taking my shirt off. Um, (laughs) Spider-Man. If you don't know the story of Spider-Man, he is Peter Parker, just this nerdy, wimpy, weak little uh, high school boy who gets bitten by a radioactive spider on a field trip and gets the abilities of these spiders. He's super strong. He can cling to buildings. He can climb them, shoot webs. 
This is his thing. But he, he starts as like a, a literal nobody, super weak, super tiny. And that's kind of where I want to uh, kind of correlate him this morning in the book of Judges chapter 6 with a guy named Gideon. So if you have a Bible, turn to, to Judges 6. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. But Gideon, if you don't know the story, Gideon is, a, is an unlikely hero who comes and becomes a judge, hence being in the book of Judges, where he rescues Israel and actually is this big, big champion of theirs. And it starts with verse number one in Judges chapter six. It starts this way. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. If you read the Bible, especially the book of Judges, you'll see a reoccurring pattern. You'll see something happen over and over again, and it, would, it drives you nuts if you, don't, if, if you don't begin to see how similar you are to the Israelites. The Israelites, they do good, then they turn their backs on God, then they get in trouble, and then the, when they're tired of being in trouble and in pain, they go back to God, he rescues them. For a little while, it's good, and then they go back to turning their backs on God. They go back into more pain. This is the same thing that happened here in verse number one. Then once again, the Israelites did evil on the side of the Lord. The evil that they're doing almost every time is idolatry. They're turning their backs on God to worship a false god, to worship uh, somebody other than God. God has told them, listen, I'm, I'm here to protect you. I love you. I'm going to provide for you. You got to understand how much God has done for the children of Israel. If you don't know the backstory, their nation was enslaved to the Egyptians for over 400 years. So generation after generation after generation, they are slaves building the pyramids and all the stuff that the Egyptians have for them. Very brutal conditions. Then God raises up a man named Moses to pull them out of slavery, to bring them out of bondage. Moses was a picture of Jesus who sets us free from the, the bondage of sin. Moses pulls those people out of actual slavery, and, and with God's help, they go through the desert to the promised land. As they go through the desert, God feeds them. He gives them manna from heaven. He gives them water. For, and when, when they couldn't find any water, he takes care of them. When they run into other armies, you got to remember, they're slaves. They don't have weapons. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have swords and shields. They had like, you know, a couple hammers and sticks. And they weren't fighters. They were builders and farmers and slaves. And they would go up against veteran armies with what would have been modern tools or weapons. And they would win the battle against odds that they should never win against because God was with them. They get to the land of Canaan. The, the Canaanites, it's a whole bunch of different kinds of people mostly just referred to as Canaanites in this case Midianites sometimes it's Perizzites or Hivites or anything with an ite at the end of their name they're bad guys um, they, uh, they 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 don't like the Israelites and obviously they're enemies and they would fight and kill each other but God told them hey listen you follow after me and I'll take care of you they don't they do evil on the side of the Lord God explains this in verse number 10 he says I told you I'm the Lord your God you must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you've not listened to me. What is happening is after God took care of them all through getting them out of Egypt, getting them through the desert, helping them beat back their enemies and claim territory, once they got their own land, they're like, whew, I'm bored. I'm going to go over here and worship this God. They loved having God's help. But once things got good, they put God on the shelf and they go, I'm going to go see what this one's all about. And all of their neighbors 
who were pagans, who didn't believe in the one true God, they would carve gods out of idols and out of big telephone poles that were basically became totem poles and figures. They had Sometimes it was out of rocks, sometimes it was shaped out of gold or silver. They, they worshipped anything that they could, these, these, uh, these images, these graven Im- images. And we, we think of idolatry in the Bible this way, but before we get down on the Israelites, let's recognize our own reoccurring pattern. We may not be bowing down to some carved out image in our house or in our backyard, but we do the same thing. Idolatry back then was putting something above God. You want to know what idolatry today is? Putting something above God. Our idolatry is the I part of idolatry. I want this. I like this. I need this. I am going to do this. And we base all of our decisions on what? That was a really easy one, guys. I kind (laughs) of set it up there for you. We struggle to trust God once it comes up against what we want. Because when God says, trust me, I, I want better for you, now all of a sudden our heart starts to get pulled towards what everybody else has. Well, my neighbors go after that, and my family members have this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want, 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 need, 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 and like, like, like. And that's why we get into the relationships we get in. That's why we take the jobs. That's why we're consumed with buying something new, having another title, making another dollar, making somebody love us, having people admire us. We are consumed with what we think will make us happy. Any of you in here that have actually found some of those things, have achieved some of those goals, you know that that's not real, where real happiness lives. You make that money, and guess what? You want more money. You get that promotion, you want another promotion. You Your business does well, you want your business to do even better. We are designed to want more, and Satan keeps putting stuff in front of us that will never fill the void that is God. The children of Israel do the same thing. Here's what I'm trying to teach you, and this is, as we look at these stories, as we look for superheroes, we need to understand, as much as we don't like the Midianites, and what the Midianites are doing in this story, the villain, the bad guy, and every good superhero needs a bad guy, right? or, Or a bad circumstance. Sometimes it's a meteorite, it's coming, it's going to crash into earth and we need to be rescued. And sometimes it's just like for Spider-Man, it's a doctor who invents octopus arms. It's a weird thing, but Dr. Oc, you know, okay, so like he like, you got like all these like bad guys and we love to hate on the bad guys because of how hard they make our life. The Midianites were coming in to the Israelite territory and robbing them, enslaving them. Every time the Israelites would, they would do the hard work of, of like tilling the soil and planting the seed and watering the crops. And when it finally got to harvest time, guess when the Midianites would show up? Right then, take all their food. Now they're starving. They have no food. They didn't have any of their stuff. They were poor. And it was these Midianites' fault. Yeah, the Midianites are bad. Our problem is we love to focus on the villain, on what we think is the, the bad thing, but we're, we're missing out. We're missing out on what the real cause of the bad guy was. We love to look at the effect, and here's point number one. The villain isn't always the real problem. Let's instead today, if you really want to get something out of this series moving forward, let's deal with the cause and not the effect. (coughs) Thank you. One person's with me. All right. When we start to look at this in our lives, what does this look like? The Midianites are bad. The Midianites are bad. They're doing it. No, your idolatry is what's bad, and it's causing the Midianites. Josh, I don't understand how I have Midianites in my life. Okay. 
Let's look at the problem of your life. What is the villain in your life? What's the bad guy in your life? What's the thing that is impending doom upon you? What's the thing that's crushing you? What's the thing that's hurting you? What's the thing that's causing you this pain? Maybe it is a person. It might be a circumstance or something else that's happening to you. This is, this is the struggle we have. We love to look at the, the effect of our sin and blame that. And that is a problem, but we have to deal with the cause or we're going to keep going on this reoccurring pattern. Maybe your marriage is broken. Maybe there is a struggle with that person you love, but you know what? The cause of it is your own selfishness. Or maybe you do struggle with coming back to uh, this pornography thing. And maybe it is that you have too much access to the internet. But that's not the problem. The cause of the problem is your own lust that you've given into. We love to talk about the effect of it. Well, you know what? These people have abandoned me. And these people don't love me and they don't support me. Yeah, that's a bad effect. But the cause of it is that you put people out of your life by pursuing after your own addictions. Do you see how we like to deal in the effect world, but we don't like to deal in the cause world? You understand how we love, what's the Midianites are the problem, the Midianites are the problem, the bag, no, you, back when you turned your back on God, that's the problem. Back when you said, what I want is most important, you look at the relationships in your life that have crumbled, it's probably more because of you and a choice you've made than it is the fact that it, it resulted in this over here, well, you don't understand, my boss doesn't do this. Or my employees don't do this. Well, maybe that breakdown in communication is because back here, you chose your pride or what you wanted or your reputation. You chose you over loving others and your inability to truly love them the way they're supposed to has resulted in this breakdown. Well, you don't, you don't get it, Josh. Pastor, my, my kids have done this or my parents have done this. Yeah, that effect is really broken and sad. And I'm sorry that that's the, the area you live in. Let's go back to what you did. And maybe you're not 100% of the problem. Maybe you're only 50% of the problem. Maybe you're only 10% of the problem. Guess what you need to work on? Whatever part of the problem you are, we love to focus on all the other things. Work on you. Let God work on them. Because here's what we're doing. It's, it's almost like watching somebody bail out a boat that's got a bunch of holes in it. How far are you going to get? You're going you're gonna to wear yourself out bailing out a boat where you don't fix the holes. Because oh, I've got to bail this water out. My boat's sinking. I get that. We need to deal with the problem. But if you don't deal with the cause of the problem, you're never going to get it out. You're just going to be tiring yourself out. And some of you are so tired of dealing with this sin issue in your life because you're not actually dealing with why, why you're there. You're just dealing with how it's affecting you. Right, I'm not going to labor there anymore. I just kind of want to bring that point to your attention, okay? Um, let's move on. Verse number 10, God said, I, I, I'm doing this. Uh, this has happened to you because you didn't listen to me. But nevertheless, he, he, comes to the, he comes to rescue him. So we get our, our hero. We find our Peter Parker in verse number 11, okay? Then the angel of the Lord came and he sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. There's our hero. And what is he doing? <laughs> he is hiding in a wine press. Now, maybe you don't understand how things work back then. I didn't really either. I had to look this up. So it's not wine press season. It's harvest, uh, wheat harvest season. 
And what you would do when you would harvest the wheat is after you cut it down, they would break it up, they would beat it or break it up, crush it, and then you toss it up in the air, and any kind of breeze would cause it to separate the wheat from the chaff. So the bad stuff would blow away, and you'd still get some good seeds, and that's how you would do it. So, but you'd have to be outside in a big area, and a lot of times they would work in groups, and they'd break it down, and they'd toss it up in the air, and it would separate the good from the bad. And there's actually more Bible verses to that, and God uses it as an illustration later on in the Bible. You can look that up. But that's what it's supposed to be done. What he's doing is he's hiding. Remember what the Midianites would do? They would wait till you harvested your grain, and then they would come steal it from you. He's hiding down in the wine press, not where you're supposed to do this. It's cramped. He not only goes inside, he goes inside and down like in like a, like a cellar area. I don't know how much he's getting done, because it's not a big area. Those things aren't big. He's probably like in there like a little shovel. Like... Okay, like gathering just enough for one biscuit. I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty miserable existence. But why is he there? We already, the Bible gives us the answer. Why is he doing it? He's hiding from the Midianites. Our hero, the first time we're introduced to our hero, Gideon, it's in an act of cowardice. I would love it if the first time we see him, he's like on the battlefield, like, what's up, Midianites? Let's go. Like, he's not. He's doing what you and I do. Hide. We are afraid of the area that God wants to do the most work in. If it wasn't scary, it wouldn't be growth for you. If the thing that God's going to put on your heart today, if the area he's going to challenge you in doesn't scare you, then it's probably not going to cause your faith to grow. Some of you are like, God's called me to step up and like, you know, talk out loud to people. That's not a challenge for me. Maybe you're extroverted. Like, I don't shut up. Like, God calling me to talk to people is not like, oh, that's going to grow my faith. Sometimes God telling me to shut up, that grows my faith. You know, like, so it depends. Like, the introverts are like, I could never do that, though. That would stretch you. Okay, if it scares you and stretches you, that, that, that might be it. But most of the time, we're looking for things that don't bother us, things that don't scare us. And God goes, I'm going to grow you in the Midianite area because that's the thing you're most afraid of. I don't think it was John Wayne that said it first, but he's the one I remember saying it is that it, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is going on in spite of or in the face of fear. Because when I meet people who have no fear, like, I doesn't scare me, I think they're stupid. <laughs> like, you shouldn't have no fear. Like, no fear means you don't really understand how things work, okay? Like, have some fear. That lets me know that you have, like, a rationale. The, the idea isn't that we live in this constant fear, but that w- there is a recognizing, like, hey, this doesn't work without God. You understand the difference? I'm not talking crazy, just go like do anything and like, ah, you know, catch me. No, it's not like that. It's, it's, this doesn't work without God. That's where God needs us to be. And then when it scares us, cause we're going, God better be in this or else I'm falling on my face. That's where our faith grows. Not when we're like, God, you, you do it and, and or I'm going to do it and you bless it. This is how most of us pray. And that's why our faith isn't growing is because we give God the plan for the rescue, dear God, do this, 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 and this. What? Is that your plan? Let's see how that works out for you. But that's how we pray. We don't go to God going, your will be done. We go to God going, here's my will, please bless it. Sprinkle a little bit of good luck on me, God. That's what I want. That's, that's how we pray. And, and we're wondering, like, well, how come I don't have God's power in my life? How come I don't see God working in my life? Because 
He's going to call you into an area that scares you. And when we get scared because God tells us to love somebody that we hate or to give something when we're, we feel like we're strapped financially or to go and, 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 and sacrifice time and show love and compassion when what we feel like is being tired and, and, and selfish, it stretches us and we go, no, that's going to hurt too much or scare me too much. Oh, oh, go witness to these friends. Oh, I don't think they're going to respond the right way. I don't think that they're going to appreciate me sharing my faith. Whatever it is that scares us, we pull back from, and that's where God grows our faith because he goes, without me, it doesn't work. But if I tell you to do it and I'm in it, everything's possible. What we find ourselves afraid of, we find ourselves afraid of people. We find ourselves afraid of um, actions, things that have happened to us. Sometimes it's our apathy that, that keeps us, we're just, I just don't care anymore. Some of you have been bailing out your boat so long that you're now just sitting in a puddle going, this is the life I'm doomed. I'm doomed to lead just this. Some of you have given up hope because you don't think that there's anything better. You think this addiction is the end of, of your road. You think this, this bitterness is the end. You think this relationship, the bridge is burned and you can't get it back. You think, I don't know what you think, you fill it in, but... Satan loves when we give up. Yeah, sit down. You're too tired. It's too hard. That, that can't go right. The Midian, Midianites are too big. You've got to understand, when the Bible describes the Midianite army, it says, it says the camels can't be counted. Not every guy got a camel. That's just the Calvary version of them. Like, but the, their army shows up, and it's like the grains of sand. They, hundreds of thousands of Midianites would come in. If you don't know the story, Gideon beats hundreds of thousands of Midianites with 300 guys. God was never intimidated by the Midianites. Gideon was. God wasn't. He knew that he knew what he could do. But we have to get to the point where we understand that God is with us. This is what Hebrews 13, 6 is trying to tell us. I've read you guys this verse before. Some of you need to write it down and remember it. It says, God's my helper. You can go out and with confidence you can say, the Lord is my helper. If the Lord's my helper, then I don't have to be afraid what can anybody do to me? It's really a cool boss statement. If I really have a relationship with God, if God is really going to be the one helping me, then I confidently can say, I don't have to be afraid. It doesn't mean I'm not afraid. It just means I don't have to live in fear in a wine press. I can go out onto the battlefield knowing without God, this is a bad choice. <laughs> and still go out into the battlefield because I know that God's with me. Now, we all love the idea of us being the superhero and Batman being our, or, or God being our sidekick. Like we're Batman and God's Robin, right? Like you're there, you help me out, God. I'll do all the cool stuff. And then if I get in trouble, bail me out. That's what we like, right? I'm the only sinner in here that has like that selfish attitude. Like I'll be the hero and God could be my sidekick. Okay, whatever. You guys are in church lying, that's fine. Um, I feel like this is how we look at God in this. And, and yes, God uses Gideon. God empowers Gideon, and Gideon gets to take a lot of credit. Gideon gets a lot of fame for becoming this great judge that wins these great battles. But it's not really like Gideon walking in, doing all... It's kind of like the kid who hides behind his really big brother into a fight. Like, oh, yeah? Look at him. Yeah. Come talk trash now. That's my brother. <laughs> Go ahead. I bet you will. Like, we talk trash from behind our big brother. God actually is doing all the fighting. Gideon gets to take a lot of credit, but we get to have confidence to say, I don't have to fear anything. Our problem is that we get in our own head and we've already rationalized out how we can't win the battle. Like I said, some of you have just given up. Some of you have sat down and you think this is over. 
When you get to the place where you can't get out of your own head, you have to remember Peter tells the church and in, 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 in conjunction us today that we can actually give those fears. We can cast or we can give, depends on what version you're looking at, cast or give just basically means pour them out, just put them on God, all of your worries. The, uh, my, uh, an older version of my Bible says all of your anxieties, put them on God. Cast them out, put them out there. Give them to God who cares about you. God cares enough that he says, just give me those. I get it. You don't understand. You do not understand how one guy could beat hundreds of thousands of people. You don't understand how a, a very impoverished, starving nation of people with no, no weapons could fight back against a veteran-trained army of hundreds of thousands. I get how you don't get that. Put that fear on me. Cast that on me. God, I don't know how you're going to work in my in my relationship. God, I don't know how you're going to fix this doctor's diagnosis. God, I don't know how you're going to, you're going to mend the heart of my kids. God, I don't know how you're going to, you're going to save my marriage. God, I don't know how, how this is, this is going to work. I don't know how, you name it, finances, whatever. God, I just don't get it. He goes, yeah, cast that on me. Put that on me. You know what you and I do? I'll hold on to them. I'll keep my own fears and anxieties and I'll figure them out. You know how weak you are when you don't give that to God? He's waiting to, to give you this power. You're walking around in your own insecurities, missing out on the power that he has for you. For time's sake, I want to move on to the next verse. There he is, throwing up grain in a, in a wine press to hide from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, this is verse number 12, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. What the what? I got to imagine... Okay, one, Gideon starts having a conversation. I think the weirdest thing would be an angel just popping up out of nowhere. Like, <sighs> no, the weirdest thing is the first two words, mighty hero. Hey, mighty hero. I'm the only one, who? The coward hiding in the wine press? Mighty hero. What? What? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. You see the same thing I see. He's literally hiding from the Midianites. He's a coward. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he's not even willing to go out and go in the daylight what farmers are supposed to do. He's just doing it so nobody, no bully comes and beats him up. He's eating his lunch in the bathroom stall because the cafeteria is too intimidating. Probably touched on a couple nerves for some people there. This is how, this is, this is the picture that the Bible is painting. And the first thing that God says is, mighty hero. I need you to understand something today, church. God is looking at you and he goes, that's my mighty hero. I see her, she's my mighty hero. I see him, he's my mighty hero. Hey, mighty hero. And you and I are like, not me. <laughs> I'm Peter Parker. <laughs> I'm a nerdy little weakling. I got nothing to offer this mighty hero stuff. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Mighty hero. I love that when God looks at Gideon and all of the brokenness and all of his insecurity and all of his fear, in, an act, in, in the middle of an act of cowardice, he goes, hey, there's my mighty hero. There's my hero. There's, there's, the, there's the person I want to use. Does that not blow anybody else away? How does God do that? I look, if, I was that, if I was God, I'd be looking going, I'm so ashamed of you. Right? Like, I was going to use you, but not now. Not that way. We would turn our backs on ourselves. If we were God, we would be done with us. 
If some of you are like, not me, I'm pretty awesome. I got another message for you. But <laughs> right now, like if, if we're honest, if, if we, because we all know what we do in the dark, right? We all know who we are in our, in our own fears and insecurities and the sins that we've committed. We all know what, what we really struggle with. And if that came out in light, nobody would be our friend, especially not God. He'd be like, not using her, not using him. And yet God shows up and says, hey, mighty hero, this is what, this is what I, I really truly believe about God, is that he sees your potential victories more than he sees your present struggles. And there's not a single one of us that doesn't have a struggle going on. Maybe you're not giving into it right now. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not like actively sinning. Some of you struggled this morning, are struggling right now, have been struggling really hard. It doesn't matter, but we have struggles, and God looks past your, your current struggles and sees potential victories in you. He knew what he was going to do through Gideon. He knew that Gideon was about to become the most famous judge in all of them. Like he, Gideon, they referenced Gideon for hundreds and hundreds of years in their culture. They still do today, actually. Gideon is still a famous name because it, it, it carries so much power and so much strength and so much rescue. And at this time, before all that happens, God sees it happening and he goes, Hey, mighty hero. Now, what we do is we like, hey, you cowardice piece of crap. Look at you. I'm so disappointed. You're such a weakling. God doesn't call us out on it. He knows it. Just in case you're wondering, God knows what we're doing. He knows our screw-ups. But he isn't there to embarrass him. He doesn't make Gideon go through a half hour of shame. This is why I don't try to preach at you. Like this, I, I get it. Like sometimes I have to bring up that we are broken people. And I hope you understand. I put myself at the beginning of that list. We are broken. Some of us need to be reminded of that because we live in arrogance. But my goal is never to, to get you to just go, oh, I went to church and now I feel like crap. Thanks, Josh. It's not about that. It's not about being embarrassed. It's not about being made ashamed. It's, not, being, it's about, not about me wagging my finger at you. We're all jacked up. But the cool thing is our perfect and righteous God looks at us and goes, that's my mighty hero. I got more planned for you than you've got planned for yourself. Here's, here's the, the way we work, though. We are like Gideon. When God shows up and goes, you're my hero. You're my next hero. I don't care how old or young you are. You're my next hero. I got something for you. I got a plan for you. You hear me say that, and you and I do the same thing Gideon does. Sweet, sign me up. What can I do? Nope. We go, nah, I don't know if I like that. This is Gideon's reaction. Sir? If the Lord's with us, then why has all this happened to us? Why are we slaves right now? Why are we getting oppressed by the Midianites? If God's with us, is what he's saying, where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? My grandma and grandpa used to talk all about how great it was in the desert with God and the manna and all that. Yeah, I didn't ever, could never get to hear the end of it. Where's that now, is what he's saying. Where is God? Why has this happened? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us, Right? abandoned us and he's handed us over to the Midianites. Who's he blaming here? God and the Midianites. Guess who he's not blaming? Do you look at the end of that verse? And you see how we sometimes in the middle of our pain, we can twist the truth just a little bit. The Lord has abandoned us. Who in verse one did evil? In verse one, did the Lord do evil in the sight of the Israelites? No, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. When we're in the middle of our pain, when we're in the middle of our hurt, 
We love to, to twist it. And sometimes it's because we're confused. Sometimes I think it's because Satan is whispering in our ear. But in that moment, well, God's abandoned me. No. They abandoned God. What, what, this is one of the most common conversations I get from people. Why has all of this happened? What is he talking about? Well, the evil, the darkness, the brokenness. Is that not a question that you have sometimes or that other people have? Well, if God is good, if God is out there, if God's really all-powerful, if God really knows everything, if God really does love me, then why do he let all this bad stuff happen, right? This is a very common question. And what they're, what they're not understanding is God loved us so much that he gave us a perfect home. He built a perfect garden. He made it absolutely awesome. And then he gave them the choice if they wanted to keep it that way or do their own thing. And Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing. God could have forced them to be good and could have forced them to love him, but that wouldn't have been a choice. That would have been like him creating robots. He creates them with free will and says, I've made it perfect for you and I want to keep it perfect for you, but you have to choose to do that. And they said, well, we, we actually want to do what we want to do. And it says by that one choice, they chose to go against God, idolatri- uh, making themselves the idol, idolatrizing or adulterizing is why there's the marriage picture of us and God. They choose to cheat on God and go after themselves. They make themselves that idol and they say, I want that fruit that looks good. I want to taste it. I want to see what happens. And by their decision, sin entered the world. And sin has a consequence. And it's a degenerative thing. The world is getting worse, devolving, not evolving. Things get worse and worse and worse. And when we're allowed to pursue after our own sinful natures, when you allow mankind to go down the path where what, what other depraved things can we think of, you, you see how it doesn't take long for people with morals and convictions to be pushed out. And then people that just pursue their own evil, how that can grow. And some of the dark things that happen in the world. Some of the dark things that take place day in and day out. Just turn on the news. That's heavy. And we go, well, why would God let that happen? No, 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 no. God never wanted that to happen. God doesn't want that. His heart breaks more than our hearts break for it. He's like, this is not what I intended. This is not what I want. I want so much good for you. This is a result. This evil and this brokenness is a result of people choosing themselves, choosing to worship themselves, to do what they want, to go after their own things. When I'm in control, I'm, I'm holding it back. What they didn't see was this picture of the God of the universe holding back the Midianites and holding back the invading armies and going, no, I'm protecting, these are my kids. You, this does not get to hit them. I'm, I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to feed them and love them and protect them and watch out for them. And then he turns around and his kids who were like, God, thank you. We love you, God. Whatever you need from us, God, you're, you're in control, not us. Whatever you want, we love you. They went, you know what? That God looks kind of cool over there. And they go over there. And they start praying, this God, this rock that I carved, this is the God that I want to worship. And this stone that I've got, and this, da, 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 da. and God's sitting there going, really? Okay, you're not going to trust me? Okay, well, I, won't, I won't protect you then. If you, that's not what you want, then that's fine. Let's see what happens. It's not, God's, it's, not, it's not God wanting bad for them. It's them choosing it. And then going, how did this happen? You pursued yourself, and then you're wondering why the consequences of it. Now, I get 
that sometimes other people pursuing themselves and choosing sin has collateral damage. I have a friend who lost some family members in a drunk driving accident, and he's like, well, why did that happen? I'm like, I know that those people didn't choose it. That other person selfishly chose what he wanted, and he wanted to get drunk, and then he wanted to drive. And the consequences of his sin had collateral damage and effect on others. And so sometimes we're caught in that damage, but still it goes back to the root cause of sin. The very thing that God hates is that sin. And before you get mad at God, and this is what you and I do, well, why would God do that? One, God didn't want it. We picked it. God has fought against it. We still keep choosing it and keep rejecting him. And because he knew that this was a perpetual problem, he sends his only son to cure that problem. He gives up his only son to the point of a death on a cross to redeem us from that problem and fix it. And even then, we still reject it. Most of the world still rejects the gift to redeem the choice when we corrupted everything. And God's going, what? I didn't want this for you, you picked it. Then you blame me for it, and I give you the solution, the solution that cost me my son, and now you still reject it. It's absurd because we are on that reoccurring problem, that loop, where we can't get out of our own way. And this is, this is Gideon's reply. Well, where is God? God says this, instead of being like, oh, you're going to blame me, you know, and be done with Gideon, he just looks at Gideon and he goes, hey, Go in the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you out. I'm commissioning you. You go. Don't worry about how it all makes sense. I'm going to make it make sense. I'm sending you out. You see what he says there? He goes, go in the strength you have. Hey, Gideon, I need you to go over to West Point and take some, some strategy classes. I need you to learn some military options. Then I need you to take some public speaking on how to get up and lead and be a good leader and give a William Wallace speech right there. I need you then I need you then to learn how to fight real good. You need to take some fencing lessons and some sword fighting lessons, some hand-to-hand combat. You need to be a good fighter. You need, once you do all that, then you can go out. He goes, just go, because I got you. I got you. You go out in, your, in what I've already encompassed you with and trust that I can do it. You got to understand, the Israelites aren't like kicking butt. They're not like powerful. They're a small nothing nation. And God's like, you're about ready to show up like Wakanda forever. Like it's about ready to get like real. You're about ready to kick some butt. Only the people that know comic books and or movies get that. But God's going, you don't need to worry about how little everybody sees you. I see more and I've given you more and I'm going with you. That's all the backing you need. You're going to roll into the fight. And you're going to have more ammo behind you than you need, I promise you. Once again, it's a step of faith. God's saying, hey, you don't have to worry about fixing everything up. I felt like this my whole life. Going to church, I felt like I had to get things right in order for God to use me. You understand that's not in the Bible? You understand Gideon didn't have to have his act together? If you didn't get it out of the fact that God comes to him in the middle of him hiding in the wine press, get it out of that verse where he's like, I don't need you to have all the answers. I just need you to trust that I have all the answers. And what do you and I do? We leave church going, well, maybe someday if I can learn a few more verses and I can just go a couple weeks without being, you know, a really bad sinner, if I can just do this and this, and we give ourselves all these things that if we can fix them, then maybe, maybe God can use us. 
And I think God just watches us get in our cars and drive home and he face palms. Like, seriously, what is she thinking? What is he doing? Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> um, it, it, it's amazing how Gideon reacts because he doesn't take it with confidence and go, oh, if you're sending me, then I'm good. His reply is the Peter Parker reply. All right? But Lord, you can almost hear him whining. But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. Do you know what he's saying here? He goes, Manasseh's not known for its warriors. Like, we're pretty far down. And if you look in, the, in that entire tribe, my clan's at the bottom. And if you look in that clan, my family's the least. And if you look at my family, I'm the weakest. I'm the lowest of the low of the low. Like, you couldn't pick any worse of a person. You couldn't pick any worse. And God goes, now you get it. Isn't that like, like mind-blowing? Like God's like, that's the one I want to use. Gideon gives the worst resume ever for being a leader. I'm the worst of the worst, the weakest. I am absolutely the last choice. And God goes, that's why you're my choice. But I'm the last person. Yes, that's why you're my first choice. Because what it takes is it's going to always take, and this is, we talked about this at Warrior Conference, and I love this point. It's going to take somebody who recognizes that the victory has to come from God so that God gets the glory. Because as long as we think that we somehow have the resume, we're going to somehow think that we won the victory. It doesn't matter that it's 300 versus 300,000. If, if Gideon had been like, well, I am pretty smart. And I, you know, got some charisma. I could rally some guys and... You know, you know, God been like, nope, never mind. <laughs> it takes the person going, I, I truly can't do this on my own. And God goes, good. Now we both know who's really doing it. That's what it takes. God, there's no way I could do this. I'm horrible. I, I, could, I couldn't do this. I can't do it. I got nothing. I got nothing to offer. Good. Now you know that I'm the one doing it. I want to use you. I'm not telling you to live in the land of self-deprecating, like, woe is me, I'm horrible. I'm not telling you to live there. God, God is also annoyed with Gideon's inability to trust him because if you are so insecure and so, so down on yourself and, and, and so unwilling to trust God, then it's going to be hard for your faith to ever take that step. But I'm saying also don't live over in the land that says, oh, God's lucky to have me. Neither of those is right. You live in the land that says, I couldn't do this without God, and I know God can do this. Those are two important things to have a distinguished. So if you're ever going to see victory, if you're ever going to become the, where you need to be, yes, Peter Parker was this weak, tiny little high school kid that couldn't, couldn't even fight the little bully in his, his school, and then all of a sudden he becomes this hero who they've written thousands of comics books about because of all these things he can do now. Gideon was a nobody. The true story, not a comic book story, a true story of a guy who had nothing going for him. And to this day, he's remembered as a great leader, someone that God used as a mighty hero. Now, the part of the story that we don't want to hear and that we often skip over is that Gideon's like, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. And it says in verse 25 that that night, that same night, the Lord said to Gideon, hey, Take that bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. 
And then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. What God says is, I'm going to do something awesome through you, and people are going to see you do something awesome. But I'm not going to let those gods in your backyard take credit for it. I'm not going to let the things that you've been bowing down to get credit for what I'm going to do through you. So you're publicly worshiping them. You're going to publicly tear them down. He goes, build an altar on the top of that hill. I don't want anybody looking in your backyard. That was his literal backyard. Ours might be figurative. I don't want anybody looking in your backyard and seeing idols that you've been worshiping and thinking that somehow the work I'm doing through you is attributed to that crap. He goes, tear it down, light it on fire. Because here's what it is. Our neighbors and our friends and our family have seen us worshiping a lot of stuff we shouldn't worship. And when God says, I'm going to start giving you some victories and I'm going to start working in your life, you know what? They're going to look at what they've seen us worship and go, well, maybe I should worship that too. She was really big about her social media. He was really big about his title at work. They were really concerned about their vacations, about, about all the things they got. They were, they, they're, they're really mean and aggressive kind of people. They're, they're going to look at how, what they've seen in us in the past and go, yeah, if, if that worked out for them, then that's what I got to do. No, they need to see something new in us. They need to see an altar to God and not idols to Baal and Asherah. They need to see us tear down the idolatry in our lives and worship something else. This is important. And you know what God told him to do with his mistakes? He said, light them on fire and watch it fuel what happens next. Here's a struggle I have. Satan comes and he goes, you screwed up yesterday. God's not going to use you today. Gideon, you were worshiping Asherah yesterday. You were praying to Asherah yesterday. You were bowing down to Baal yesterday. No way God's going to use you today. And God goes, Light them on fire and watch what I do. He literally says, use the pole that you tear down as fuel for the altar to me. When you're willing to tear down the idolatry in your life, I'm willing to consume it and give you a new purpose. So what we have to understand is that we, we need to start lighting on, lighting on fire the idols that are in our life. We need to start being willing to lay down the pursuits that we've had that have been selfish and self-centered That's our idolatry when we are God. And we say, God, I'm trusting you. And it doesn't matter if it was yesterday. God redeems our yesterdays. Your failures from your past are going to fuel your fire. The fire that God's trying to light in your heart, Satan is trying to throw a wet blanket on it going, God can't use you because you've made too many mistakes. God can't use you because you screwed up too much. And God's going, no, you light on fire, you, you use it as fuel. Your past mistakes, your failures, the ones in your backyard, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. When your kids, when your spouse, when your employees, when your boss, when your friends see you tear down something you've been worshiping year after year, light it on fire and give it to God, they're going to notice. And it's going to be a powerful testimony that you get to have. The question is, are you going to do it? Are you going to actually do that? Are you going to actually show your kids what it looks like to have a mom or a dad that isn't so focused on success? Are you going to show your friends what it looks like to have somebody who isn't consumed with bitterness or anger? 
Are you going to show your employees or your boss what it looks like when you're not consumed with greed or self-interest? When we tear that down and we start showing them the love of God like he told us to when we love God and love others, it's going to do more than all the stuff that we try to do in our own power. Because that's how God works. And if you're sitting here going, I don't know if I can trust that, that's because you're struggling on if you can actually trust God. This is the debate. This is the struggle. And it's what separates the heroes from the people who could have been heroes, is who they decided to trust. I'm going to pray out loud. I'd invite you to pray right there at your seat. If you would, bow your head with me. If you just close your eyes and give people around you some privacy, I'd like to ask you who you're trusting today. Are you trusting God or are you trusting yourself? Have you been blaming God or blaming the Midianites, blaming the villains in your life when you really should have been looking at the cause? Maybe this morning God poked your heart, told you that there's something deeper than the surface level problems you've been having. Maybe in the quiet of this moment, God is telling you, hey, that thing that you're so mad about or so hurt about, it's actually deeper than that, and I want you to go to the root problem, and let's fix that first. Trust me. Right now, trust me. Stop trusting yourself when it comes to your finances. Stop trusting yourself when it comes to your relationship. Stop trusting yourself when it comes to your work or your family, your hobbies, whatever. Trust me. Watch me go to work. Maybe your prayer needs to be that you're going to tear down an idol. Maybe your prayer is going to be that you're going to actually start having a, a testimony to the people around you. Some of you trusted God a long time ago, but then you took back control and then you, you did the same thing the Israelites did. You went back to worshiping yourself. Some of you need to get back to that moment where you say, God, I'm trusting you. Some of you need to make that moment happen for the very first time right now. There's people around you praying, but your prayer needs to be to invite God into your life for the very first time. I'm not talking about, do I admit there is a God? Do I say that I like God? No, I'm saying, why don't you, for the very first time, truly give God your heart? Don't trust that you're religious. Don't trust that you go to church. Don't trust that you've been a good enough person. You trust God in the fact that his son, Jesus Christ, died for you. You trust salvation coming from somebody other than yourself. When you trust that Jesus Christ paid for your sins, you confess that right now in your heart. The way I like to say it is, you move out of the driver's seat of your life. Let God be the one calling the shots. Let God be the one that's in control. You give him control, you ask him for forgiveness, and you trust him with the plan, that's salvation. Some of you need to do that for the very first time. Whatever it is, whatever God's put on your heart, would you pray right there at your seat? And I'll pray out loud, and we'll just ask him to do a work. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for the story of Gideon. Thank you for loving us, even when we stop loving you. Thank you for seeing potential in us, even when we're in the middle of a failure. Thank you for loving us when I'm sure other people find us unlovable. God, thank you for using the broken, using the weak, 
God, I know that there's people you want to see impacted in our homes, in our communities, throughout New England, people that we can have an influence on for you if we'll just trust you. So Lord, in this moment, we ask for forgiveness for the times that we've trusted ourselves. God, we ask for forgiveness for the times that we've failed you, where we've chosen sin and our own selfishness over you. God, would you forgive us of that? Cleanse us of that? Would you use us in in an awesome way? God, would you use the men and women in this church, in this room right now, would you use us to help those around us, help our neighbors, help our family members, God, help our coworkers, help our friends, God, help, help them, the ones that are still struggling, still finding themselves under the burden of a villain, help us to speak truth and love into their lives. God, we need your help. We need you to show up in a mighty way. It's in your name we pray all of this. Amen. I want to invite the, the band, if they would, to come. And we're, gonna, we're just going to sing a, a, a song of worship as we think about what it is that God's calling us to do. I know sometimes you hear a message and you think, is that, is that my response, salvation or trust? And yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's important to trust God. It's important to make a decision to just remind yourself who you're going to trust. But I want to give you a, I want to give you an actual action step, something to, to do. If God has pricked your heart about something today, why don't you use the time between this Sunday and next Sunday? We're going to talk about a different hero next week, and we're going to get into some other stuff when we get there. But between now and then, why don't you ask God to show you some villains in your life? I don't know what the villains are. I don't know what in your life is robbing you of joy. I don't know what's causing you to be frustrated, disappointed, what's causing you anger, what it is that you think is is the problem. But ask God to reveal a couple of those to you or give you two of them. Just give you two of the things that you dislike right now, which are really just effects, and then give him permission to help you tear down whatever is powering them. If you're frustrated at work, if you're frustrated at home, if you're, if you're struggling with somebody in your, in your house or in a, that you're in a relationship with, give that to God and say, God, what might be powering this? What might be the cause? What's something that I'm doing? Show me something I can tear down to make this work better. And rather than you leave here and just keep the cycle going, maybe you break it. By going, God, I'm gonna what, whatever my responsibility, whatever my responsibility is there, I'm tearing it down. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com/give or text any amount to eight four three two one. Thanks for listening. See you next week.